And so last week, Brad kicked off our series, All Things New. And it's this passage that comes from Revelation 21.5, where John is writing about a vision he's received from God about what is yet to come, but also what's happening. And he's writing to the different churches and to the tribes of Israel, and he's writing to them to let them know, to basically say, hey, this is a warning. This is what's to come. Let's get our act together. And in verse 5, it says this. It says, the one sitting on the throne, Jesus sitting on the throne, Revelation 21.5, Jesus sitting on the throne is making all things new. All things new. But I love that second half of the passage that says, and this is trustworthy and true, so write this down. Trustworthy and true, so write this down. Revelation 21.5, the verse, the theme for this series. So last week, Brad kicked us off by talking about new year, new you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, that says, If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And it doesn't mean that once you receive the Holy Spirit, once that you receive Christ, that you have, once again, it's not like you flip the switch automatically. You're not perfect. We don't receive that gift until salvation occurs. But it's kind of giving God the builder's permit to say, God, I'm giving you the permit to work on me, to shed away the sin, to shed away the darkness, and to build me up, to make me a new creation, this newness about you. Today I'm excited because the message, the topic is new perspective. And it might not be a new perspective for you, but what I want to focus on primarily is recapturing or capturing for the first time our awe of God recapturing or capturing for the first time our awe of God, the amazingness of who God is, what God does, and how God loves you and creates all things new. And so as as I was thinking about those words, recapturing the awe, capture the awe, think about the reverence, the amazingness, the respect that we have for God. Um, I started to begin to wonder about times in my life that I get, you know, excited about things. And honestly, there's really only three things. Color orange, Michigan football, and Panda Express, okay? Color orange, Michigan football, and Panda Express. So if you want to weigh to my heart, color orange, Michigan football, Panda Express, in that order. So if you want to get us Michigan football tickets with a gift card to Panda and maybe an orange t-shirt or something to wear, it'd be perfect, okay? I also like Twizzlers, by the way. But as we're walking through all of that fun stuff, I was thinking, but even though I get excited about those things, as I've grown older, I've started to realize I've become a more boring person. Like, I'm excited about reading at night. That's kind of what gets me, you know, up in the morning is knowing if I finish the day, I can read a little bit longer, okay? But that's not necessarily the case for children or for infants or for teenagers. And I didn't recognize that and the awe that they have for life, the excitement they have for life until I had my first son. And so I wanted to put a picture on the screen. This is my son, Uriah. Um, and this is Uriah every single time he has a bottle. Every time he reacts the exact same way. And this is the, you know, thousandth time that he's eaten. Um, he always has his arms out while we're approaching him. And he's, he makes the noises of, oh, oh, oh. it's hilarious. Only time I've heard those noises in my life is when I'm eating with Brad, okay? <laughs> Brad is the only adult that I know that still gets that excited about food. And if you think I'm joking, okay, This Friday, like two days ago, the staff went to Panda. He pulled out a knife he brought from his kitchen at home so that he could make sure he was able to cut his chicken and enjoy his meal 
because of how excited he was about his dinner. He didn't want anything ruining it. Bless his heart, okay? But as I was thinking of the excitement of God, I started to grow a little sad because I think as we grow older, we, we start to lose that type of excitement for our Savior. We start going through the motions. We start checking off task lists. We start doing things because we feel like we have to, not because we get to. And I want us today to recapture the awe of God. And in order to do that, I actually want to share a verse um, because we serve an incredible God. We serve an incredible Savior who created the stars in the sky and knows them by name and created um, every single one of you and knows the hairs on your head, knows what you're good at, knows what you're passionate about. But he did so in the most powerful way. And the psalmist actually writes in chapter 33, verse 9, says this, For he spoke, and it came to be. He spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. That's the God we serve. Used his voice, used his breath to create. And he did so, so, so poetically. If you read through the creation story in Genesis chapter 1 that we have, the very first book of the Bible, you see it, it's written poetically where it flows from line to line, showing us how God created the heavens and the earth. And in everything that he created, Moses writes in Genesis that he created and it was good. Light and dark. Animals and plants, water, the river flowing was created and it was created good. And then he gets to the part where he creates humans in his own image. And the phrase image of God is a mago day where he created us in his image. And that's so cool to think about that you are a living image of our Savior. A living image of our Savior. And then there's another phrase that gets thrown around in Christian talk called ex nihilo, which means something out of nothing. God created something out of nothing. And it just blows me away to think that our God was and is and yet to come. The alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. That's the Savior that we follow. And it begs me to ask this question. Have you lost your awe of God? Have you lost your awe of God? Or, if you're a new follower or um, an unbeliever, have you ever had an awe of God? You see, because again, as we continue to get older and go from infant to toddler to teen to young adult to adult to um, Gen X and then Boomer and then uh, silent generation, you just continue to get older and older. It becomes so much easier for us to just go through the motions or to lose sight of this amazing God that we serve. And so today, for the next 15 minutes, I want to spend some time recapturing or for the first time capturing our awe of God. Because if you are here, you have a purpose. And if you are still breathing, then you should still be praising. Don't take your life for granted. If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 28, uh, verses 10 through 22 is where we're going to be reading and walking through, looking at the life of Jacob. And I just want to give a little bit of context for what's going on prior to this passage. What has just happened is Jacob and Esau are brothers. Their father, Isaac, is getting ready to pass away. And in his old age, he loses his sight. 
And so what happens is as they become older, as, as, as men become older and they are getting ready to move on and to pass away, they call in their firstborn son. And in their generation, in their culture, what they would do is they would give the birthright. They would give their blessing. They would give their inheritance to their firstborn son. And so Esau, what we know about him are two things. He was a very hairy man and he was the firstborn son. And I was going to make a joke about Brad a second time there. But the only thing stopping me was I didn't know if he was the firstborn son. We know the hairy man part. I heard, I think, Barb yell yes. So anyway, uh, firstborn son. Okay, what we know about Jacob, his brother, is that he was not a hairy man and that he was not the firstborn son. Okay? Two very crucial details on the story. Jacob ends up deceiving Esau, or deceiving Isaac, stealing Esau's inheritance, and then fleeing, running away in shame and guilt and also in fear. And this is where the story picks up in Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. This is what Moses writes. He says this, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching into the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Verse 13, there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Verse 16 and 17, very powerful. Here it goes. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was told and afraid and said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I want to stop there for a second because from verses 15 and then to 16 and 17, we almost see that transition. We see that moment where Jacob begins to recapture his awe of God. That word awe is used about 92 times throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it means respect, reverence, amazed, awe, inspired, um, and then it can also mean fear and to have a respectful fear of the Lord. And so Jacob, that word, how awesome is this place? How awesome is our God? He is in awe of who God is. After just committing a grave sin, God still meets him in this place. And it's so cool because in verse 16, it says, I didn't recognize, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place? And you see that he's recaptured his awe of God. Verse 18, early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel. Bethel means house of God, place of God, holy place. Though the city used to be called Luz. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, 
And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house, will be Bethel. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Let's stop there. Jacob ends by saying, hey, God, I'm going to give back to you what is yours. I'm going to give back. That word a tenth is, literally means tithe. That's what we talk about when giving generosity, giving generously. It's where we see one of the commands from God to say give a tenth back to God in your finances, in your volunteer time, in your service, in your possessions, in your prayer life, and all of these things. Give it back to God. Glorifying God for who God is. And it's so cool because, like I said, we got to see Jacob literally recapture that awe of God. Going through the motions, recognizing his sin, his shame, and his guilt from the past, and then in an instant, he recognizes and is encountering the Holy One in this place. He says, I didn't even realize you were here, God. I love how he says that. I didn't even realize you were here. How awesome is this place? How awesome is this God? And so honestly, as we're talking about recapturing that idea and that awe of who God is, as a Christ follower, it can be as simple as shifting your perspective. And here's what I mean. So many times, especially as we get older and we get busier and we have obligations, and then if we are able to have kids, then we have their busyness and their obligations. And then as they end up um, moving on and then we're experiencing loneliness and trying to find our place in the world and all those different things— it can be so difficult for us to prioritize God. But if we shift our perspective here, because here's sometimes what happens. We'll say this. I need to go to church. No. You don't need to go to church. You get to go to church. Shifting the perspective. Or I need to spend time in prayer today. No, you don't need to spend time in prayer. You get to spend time in prayer. Or I need to give generously today. No, you don't need to give generously. You get to give generously out of your faithfulness to God. Or I need to serve today. No, you don't need to serve. You get to serve. I need to read my Bible today. No, you don't need to read your Bible. You get to read your Bible. You see, this book is illegal in 52 countries or restricted in 52 countries. And we take this sacred and beautiful and holy word of God for granted so many times. And then often when we do dive deep into the word of God, it's because we feel like we need to. No, we believe that we are saved in faith in Jesus alone. Your actions don't get you salvation. But if you are saved, you better be doing this stuff. Not because you need to, but because you get to. Because it is so powerful and so cool and so special when you spend time with God, when you worship God, when you trust God, when you give to God. Here's the beauty of this. You see, we are looking out at the stars in the sky, looking out at the beautiful uh, nature, the tree, especially on this property where we're able to just look around us in the sunshine and see it. And if we believe in God, we trust that God, we trust that God created this, yet we won't trust him with our finances. We trust that God created this, as we, yet we won't, we won't serve, we won't volunteer. We trust that God created this, yet we, we don't spend time in prayer, don't spend time in the word. Like, those don't make sense. Those don't go together. And it's what leads us to losing our awe of who God is. It's what leads us to losing our awe of who God is because we go through the motions. And then when we do end up spending time with God, we often just check it off. 
we often just check it off. But here's the reality, and here's something I really want you to understand, is the God who created this entire universe knows your name and wants desperately to spend time with you. So much so that he sent his son to die. And often the crucifixion, the death, is something we only talk about around Easter. I want to change that. Because the gift of this sacrifice is something that is so deep. And as Jesus was being whipped by the flagrum, which was um, shards of glass and bones and rocks and strings and being whipped and whipped and his back being brutally beaten for us and for you. And then only to put wooden pegs on his back to carry about a mile down the Via Dolorosa, which is called the Way of Suffering. That's what the mile-long strip was from where he was being on trial to Skull Hill to where he was being crucified. He carried his cross through help and then placed on the beams in a way so that he wouldn't die from the pain, he would die from suffocation. The Romans mass-produced this. Persians perfected it, and then the Romans mass-produced this. And that very God did that so that you and I could live. What's not to be in awe of that? You see, if God is in awe of his creation, why aren't we in awe of our creator? And again, it's often just shifting your perspective. Say, hey, you know what, today, wow, you're right. Jesus is so stinking awesome. Holy Spirit is so cool. God is so cool. Because here's the reality. God wins in the end. We're on the winning team. We see that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. If you want to turn with me there. So what Paul writes to the church in Philippi. says this, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. An excruciating death. You see, humans actually created that word excruciating to describe death on a cross. Translates to death on a cross. Excruciating death. Verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God wins. God is victorious. Here's what I'm encouraging us to do today. Don't be in awe of him because of the victory. Don't waste your entire life waiting for the victory. Be in awe of God right now because we get to be in awe of God. We get to pursue him. We get to spend time with him. We get to worship him. I want to end with a quote today from a pastor, very well known. It says this, It is about the greatness of God, not the significance of man. It is about the greatness of God, not the significance of man. God made man small and the universe large to say something about himself. God is so big and so powerful and so beautiful. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made too. So this week, recapture the awe of God. Do things because you get to. Carve out time each and every day to spend with him, the one who makes all things new, because you get to do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you do. Thanks for the things you created. 
You make all things new. You are the savior of the world. You created the stars and you know them by name. Created the galaxies and the universe. And yet you had time to create me too. And then you cared so much about me that you came to die. And so Lord, I'm in awe of you. I'm recapturing my awe of you. And I'm going to live for you because I get to. In your name I pray. Amen.